Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, this is Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Welcome to the Inside China Basin San Francisco Giants baseball podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Featuring players like all-star catcher Buster Posey. It's about, you know, just going out and, and trying to have passion for the game that I've loved since I was a kid. Inside China Basin is brought to you by Sun First Solar, known for delivering solar excellence since 1984 and recently voted best solar company in Marin County. We're also brought to you by TPC Harding Park, the only public golf course in San Francisco offering golfers the opportunity to play where the pros play. Coming up, we're going to talk to San Francisco Chronicle columnist Ann Killian. But first, I want to tell you about my favorite golf course, TPC Harding Park in San Francisco. TPC Harding Park is now open and accepting tee times at tpc.com slash Harding Park. And TPC Harding Park is also pleased to announce the 2020 PGA Championship has been rescheduled for August the 3rd through the 9th. For additional information, visit tpc.com slash Harding Park or feel free to contact 102PGA at pgahq.com. Ann Killian has spent 30 years as a sports writer, the last eight years with the San Francisco Chronicle. And on Tuesday, I had a chance to sit down and talk with Ann about the San Francisco Giants, Major League Baseball, and other topics on thesportsvirus.com. Here's that conversation. Well, Ann, first of all, how are you doing uh, in a world where there are really hardly any sports? Golf is about it and auto racing. Uh, but being a sports writer without any sports, how has that been treating you? You know, it's actually been great. Um, I've had tons of things to write about. In some ways, it seems, um, you know, busier than usual. Um, but the thing that I like to write about anyway on, on at any time is the intersection between sports and society. And this um, has certainly been full of that these last three months with not only, you know, the, the coronavirus and the way um, sports has kind of been used as, you know, a warning sign, a tool, a point of leverage, all those things, you know, a political, uh, a political point in in debates about opening up the country um you know the nba shutting down i think was the first time people really took everything seriously i think sports has been a leader it's a huge concern so i i worked on a big series that ran in early may about what the sports world might look like after coronavirus um or you know if there is an after whenever we get to that point seems less and less likely at this point um and then, and then, you know, with the George Floyd protests and the social activism and, and you know, my guy Colin Kaepernick um, suddenly becoming, um, I mean, not that he's ever really left the spotlight, but suddenly, um, you know, the issues that he raised are, are so front and center and, and there's so much um, activity in the sports community and, and um, you know, that's, that's definitely um, something that I've been writing about for years and, um have, uh, you know, been writing about that a lot as well. And, you know, just, you know, Bubba Wallace um, in with the NASCAR race. And just, I mean, it just seems like every day there's something new and fascinating that either is involving 
social justice or coronavirus that is involving the sports world. And um, so I've, I've actually had plenty to write about. <laughs> well, speaking of the sports world intersecting with our daily lives, I mean, the question on everybody's mind is, can uh, sports return safely? I mean, we're wondering, can uh, society return uh, to normal life safely? And we've seen kind of a mixed bag. We've seen numbers that are going up right now as far as coronavirus around the country in some of the states, including ours here in California. Uh, so what do you think about sports and its landscape? You know, I, I don't I don't think um, that sports is going to come back this fall. Um, I, I've been a skeptic, especially ever since I talked to a ton of experts with for that series I just mentioned um you know I just I don't see I can see it trying to and then stopping and um so then that's the debate is it what's worse to to start and stop and then maybe start again and have to stop again or to just you know kind of have to wait it out and suck it up and and get to a point where um you know people feel safe and there possibly is a vaccine on the horizon and and things can reopen. I don't know if you, you know, not a lot of people follow the NWSL, the Women's Soccer League, because we don't have a, uh, a team here, but um, they're having, they're, they've been very proud of themselves because they're going to be the first um, American sports league to actually get back to, to work um, this, starting this weekend with a tournament format in Salt Lake City. And yesterday, five players on the Orlando team tested positive because they went out to a bar, supposedly, in Orlando and they had to withdraw. So that's one less team of a nine-team league. So, um, and, and, of course, Orlando and Florida is just crazily spiking. You know, that's the MLS teams are going down there this week to start training and have a, also a tournament format. Uh, the NBA is supposed to be there and the WNBA starting in late July. Um, you know, people from Orlando are going in and out of the property, Um are you really going to bubble up, you know, hundreds and hundreds of young men in their 20s? <laughs> I, it's just, um, uh, and, and then you get to things like college football. Um, and obviously the push for something like college football is, is you know, to get, to get the TV dollars and to get the eyeballs, but they also want to get the fans in the stands. And in places like Alabama and Texas and Florida where numbers are spiking, is that really going to happen are people going to really let that happen? I, I just, I just don't see, especially because things are are still so out of control. Here we are in late June, and when I was talking to people in late April, and they were like, "Well, you know, if things are in a control by June, then I think maybe they can talk about opening it up." Well, things are not under control. So, and and we're learning more. You know, with every with every passing week, it seems we learn more about what this virus does. And sure, the the death rate is mostly among people who are over sixty five. But if you read stories about the young people who've who've had this disease and its effects, um, it, one, it sounds absolutely miserable if you actually you know fall quite ill with it, and and a lot of young people have. And also, there's indications that they there could be um, significant permanent damage like scarring to the young to the lungs sorry and so does any young athlete want to risk that I mean I just think that it's it seems extremely complicated and um you know obviously there's billions of dollars at stake uh and and people are frantic about that but uh I just feel like trying to open up is gonna 
just end up causing um, more problems and probably lead to a shutdown again. Yeah, I mean, it's terrifying for the athletes when you think about it because you might be following the rules, but what about all of your teammates and uh, your opponents? And you just don't know uh, who might break some of those rules and who might have it. And, you know, the whole idea of somebody being asymptomatic and then passing it along. So, I mean, as an athlete, other than the money factor, it seems like, you know, if you could put that aside, which, of course, we can't, but if you could, you'd say, let's just wait a year, you know, let's just take a year off, but everybody's concerned about money. Right. And just as that example I, I mentioned with the NWSL, like, you know, like a bunch of, like, young 20-something-year-old girls went to a bar. Well, you know, I bet they're, one, they're, their teammates have to be furious with them because now they've all lost the opportunity to compete. But that's exactly the situation where you just don't know, you know, you can't be sure that the guy that you're trying to tackle um, or that you're lined up against on the football field or that you, you know, go up for a header with in a, on a soccer game, you can't be sure that person has not been an idiot and gone out to a bar. You know, you just, you, you don't know. And, and, and I think that the athletes also, I mean, it's a really, really interesting um, intersection between these two movements with the coronavirus and the social justice, because I think athletes are starting to, young athletes are starting to feel more empowered. And of course they have a lot of role models, mostly in the NBA of people who are, who are you know, saying that, they that they actually have some power over what they do and and how they're perceived but also you know you don't uh, there's this this feeling that that they're just pawns in this economic game game and obviously that's part of the issue going on with baseball but you know they they their health is at stake and and the owner's health is not at stake the owners will you know sit in with their masks and their gloves and probably not even enter a ballpark or a, a stadium whereas the athletes are the ones who are being asked to perform, and especially in college athletics, you know, where they don't get any money, they have no union protections, they're just on their own. And so, you know, this week we saw UCLA athletes band together and say, you know, that they had some demands that they were going to return to practice. And I think that's great. I mean, I think, I think this could be a really big sea change moment for college af- athletics because they don't have a voice in something that's so serious about their their health and long-term future. We'll have more with San Francisco Chronicle columnist Ann Killian right after this. Jones goes back, back near the wall, shading the sun, and he dropped it. He lost the ball in the sun. Let's put the sun to good use at home with a Sun Power residential solar system. Your Sun Power elite dealer, Sun First Solar, has a wide range of financing options, and they provide the finest customer service from start to finish, regardless of size or scope. Sun First Solar offers the highest efficiency systems, newest technology, and the best warranty in the world. Sun First Solar offers the most competitive price, while not compromising on quality. This summer, let the sun heat your pool and eliminate your energy bill. Don't drop the ball. Call Sun First Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870. And get your Sun Power solar system today.
Let's talk about Major League Baseball, and uh, and I think it's pretty obvious that it's been a fiasco of the highest degree because it's not only about the coronavirus. In fact, the part that's really got a lot of people aggravated is just this infighting, which I guess we shouldn't be surprised. It's it's happened before, but you know the players and the owners just cannot get together. And finally, now it looks like a season is just going to be implemented. You know, a sixty-game schedule, no expanded playoffs. The players will still have their right to a grievance. What has been your take on this whole situation, and how do you see it uh, going uh, as we go forward? Well, it's just, it is a disaster, and, and it doesn't have anything to do with the coronavirus. That's the thing that's kind of sickening about it. It's like, I don't know if they've even gotten down to the health, you know, debate yet of, <laughs> of what, what, you know, what that means. But I, you know, I, I mean, I, I tend to side with the owner, I mean, with the players, sorry, against the owners, because... You know, there, there's a reason that the players don't trust the owners right now. And, and we see, you know, in all these markets, just the amazing uh, increase in value of these teams. Even a team like the A's that doesn't even have a stadium is worth almost $2 billion. And I've got, you know, John Fisher bought it for $180 million and he's cutting corners. I mean, he's backtracked on some of it, but cutting corners on scouts and, and you know, stipend money for minor leaguers. It's just, it's it's so crazy and, and athletes have this very short window and um, you know, they have had grievances about the arbitration process, the free agency process, how they've kind of been colluded against in some of the free agency things because of draft. I mean, like just there, there's such a history leading up to what is going to be a labor impasse at the end of next season that, you know, it's not a surprise that, um, that this has happened, but the degree to which it's happened and the, and the, you know, it's just so ironic that, you know, you hear all we've heard about basically for two years or three years from Major League Baseball is how to speed up the game. And basically the owners and Manfred have just been trying to run out the clock so they can get the fewest number of games and not have to pay the players. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just been crazy. And they've whiffed on such a big opportunity because, you know, they would have had the stage themselves. They would have, I mean, I don't really buy into the, oh, you know, we need them for our national morale, but it would have been nice for people to have something to watch. And, you know, they would have had the stage without the NFL, without anyone, you know, NBA playoffs, anyone competing with them. And now they've, they've, they've blown that. They're going to start up just when, um, if, if this goes through, they're going to start up right around the same time the NBA is about to start their playoffs. And, and the NFL is going to start training camp if that actually happens. And so if any kind of normalcy or, or seasons return in sports, MLB will be, again, at the kind of the back of the pack. And, and um, you know, and plus not only fighting for, for eyeballs and recognition, but also now just with this very awful taint of, you know, idiots who couldn't figure it out and it just, you know, are greedy and, and just, you know, and, and again, I blame the owners because the owners don't seem to care about the sport really at all. The players do, but the players also know they only have a few years of leverage and that's it. No, so, I, yeah, it's, it, it's been pretty bad. I totally agree with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm with the players on this one. And I think, and that a major change needs to occur, and I'm not sure that they can get it done. But when you have Rob Manfred going against Tony Clark, it's just not working. And I know that it's hard to have a commissioner who's down the middle because the owners are the ones hiring the commissioner. Of course, he's going to be on their side. But, man, it would just be better if they could have somebody who was a little bit more down the middle, a little bit more towards the players to be understanding and see the big picture 
pressure. Like you said, there, there was an opportunity there, and they've completely blown it. So do you think maybe baseball needs to look at, hey, let's make a change here and, and try to do this in a different way? Well, sure they do, but I don't know. I don't know that that's going to happen. And I don't know, you know, I mean, I don't really know that much about Manfred, um, but, uh, you know, I was not a fan of his predecessor, and he seems like he could even be worse. Um, and I know that there was some expect, expectation that he was going to be a better um, down the middle kind of negotiator because he, he did have the labor negotiation background, but, but that doesn't seem to have been, been paying any dividends in this in this situation. And I don't, I don't really know that much about, you know, who are the hardliners of the owners. Um, but I do know that, that they give off the distinct impression that they are not taking care of the game. You know, they, they, they don't, they are thinking only about their pocketbook and their bottom line, and they don't really care about the long-term future of the game. That's the impression I've gotten. So, um, I, yeah, I find it um, very, uh, you know, disturbing. Any of us who love baseball and want to see it around. I mean, my colleague Bruce Jenkins always says, you know, baseball is going to survive. They, you know, all these things that happen to it, steroids and labor lockouts and canceling the World Series, it always, it always comes back. And, and I believe that, but it, it keeps coming. It, it, it comes back a little bit less each time. And, and I just, it's such a regional game as well. You know, I mean, like, you know, the Giants have a following, the Yankees have a following, but there's just not that national presence that there is in some other sports. And I, I think that that doesn't bode well for the future. And there just doesn't seem to be any, like, voice of reason. I mean, you look at you look at Manfred compared to Adam Silver, and Adam Silver's trying to get his guys back in there, too. And he wants, you know, his owners to make money, et cetera, et cetera. But there's just such a different tenor and a different level of trust between the sides than there is in baseball. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, speaking of the San Francisco Giants, and this is a Giants podcast, so I want to ask you about the new regime and your thoughts. I mean, they really haven't uh, had a chance to, to prove themselves very much, and we're on pause here. But what was sort of your prediction for how Gabe Kapler will do and what you think of just the whole direction that the Giants are headed right now? You know, I didn't. I didn't get a chance to go to spring training, so I'm just kind of in a wait and see mode. Um, I I'm very skeptical. Um, I know Farhan has a great um, reputation, but um, I I was not a fan of the Kapler hire. I'm not a fan of having you know 27 coaches or whatever it is. Um, right. <laughs> I'm not. I'm I'm not a fan of um, analytics. Analytics above all else, which seems to be their direction. Um, I think it's going to be a long haul. I don't know what losing this year means um, because I don't know if that's good for a team that's that's trying to rebuild. Um, it, it probably is. Um, yeah, I just I with the Giants, I'm kind of like wake me up when you know in 2025. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not super optimistic. Um, you know, I I think that you know. I'm, I'm used to that team being competitive um, and uh, and it has been for most of the past decade, but I just don't, I don't know that there was going to be a compelling reason to go to the ballpark anyway before the coronavirus, because, <laughs> um, you know, it's not like last year, uh, even though they were a very poor team last year, there was all that sentiment about Bochy's farewell. And so there was, 
um, there was a reason to buy a ticket and to maybe see a game. You felt like you were going to be participating in something. And I don't, I don't know that that's, that's there. So the fact that they, they've lost this season um, or most of it, you know, might not hurt them as much as some other teams. I don't know. One interesting aspect of the coaching staff is Alyssa Nacken. And, uh, you know, she's a pioneer. She's a, a coach at the major league level. She's only 30 years old. Uh, so what do you think of that move? Um, you know, how hard is it for her, do you think? Because when you're a pioneer like that and you're trying to establish yourself and, and you've got the big picture in mind as well, I would think there's just a lot going on in your mind and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's great. Um, I, I don't really know what her role is. I mean, I think it's great for any team to be able to, to push a boundary and, and make that move, and it certainly makes it easier for the next team to do it and the next team after that. Um, I, I met her briefly before um, before the team left for spring training, and I know you know we did a couple of different stories on her from spring training, and, and she was getting great reviews. So, I mean, I think that's great. I think it's great that the 49ers have Katie Sowers. I mean, I think that, you know, anything that can be a little more inclusive and a little, you know, thinking of things in a different way is, is great. So, I mean, I, I applaud that move um, quite a bit. Yeah, I think I think it's um, it's exciting. I, I, also, I don't think that, again, I'm not sure that Alyssa is the reason that, that fans are going to, you know, purchase season tickets. Um, I, I think it makes people feel good. In about the team in, in certain ways, but I, I'm not sure what the tangible, um, besides a, a more inclusive look, I'm not sure what the tangible change would be in terms of the team. I just, I don't know how this whole coaching, you know, I mean, a cast of thousands coaching staff, I don't really know how that works anyway. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting. Our conversation with Ann Killian continues in just a moment. We all know that solar systems make financial sense and environmental sense. And when it comes to choosing the best installation crew in the business, Sun First Solar should be your first choice. Sun First Solar has provided solar excellence since 1984. They are Sun Power Elite Commercial and Elite Residential Installers with a reputation for technical excellence, innovative design, fair pricing, excellent customer service, and end-to-end -end quality and competence. Sun First Solar is a family business devoted to treating their employees, customers, the community, and the environment with respect, and they are devoted to renewable energy and sustainability throughout the Bay Area. There is no roof or project that is too complicated. Sun First has successfully installed solar on Spanish tile roofs, metal roofs, and very steep roofs. They also have extensive experience in solar ground mounts and solar pool heating. Competitive pricing expert consultation, and the best warranty. Go local and get your Sun Power solar system from Sun First Solar today. Call Sun First Solar at 415-458-5870. That's 415-458-5870. There was supposed to be a, a really good feel-good moment uh, this year. I don't know if they're going to still have it, but they were going to have the 10-year reunion of the World Series team, and uh, one of the players not invited, Aubrey Huff, of course, he was critical of Alyssa Nacken, and he's been critical of a lot of things. He's made some really uh, ugly comments. He's gotten into Twitter wars. Uh, you know, actually, just uh, yesterday, he had a Twitter war with pitcher Trevor Bauer, so uh, he was not invited to the reunion, and, and and I mean, he really has taken a turn publicly here in San Francisco because fans they, they enjoyed watching him play. They rooted for him. They, I think they just didn't know what he was all about. And now that this is coming out, uh, it's been pretty ugly. 
it is ugly. He's an idiot. You know, I mean, I mean, just the, the whole thing, his, his big thing now is he's like the, the, the poster child for the idiots who refuse to wear masks, which we can see, you know, what around the, around the country, how well that's been going. <laughs> um, you know, and these guys who like want their guns, right. And they, yet they're, they're, they don't want to wear a mask because it looks weak, but they need to be packing a, you know, a, a, a weapon at all times. It's just, it makes no sense to me. Ob- I think I think actually the fans, most fans, or a lot of fans who were paying any attention, uh, got very turned off when Huff went AWOL from the team um, the season after. I think it was 2011, right? So yeah, I think it was 2011. Much, as much as a um, you know part of 2010 that he was, um, you know, clearly there was a big disconnect with him and the team um, aside from that one shining moment. And my friend, Joan Ryan, who of course is a consultant with the giants um, has a book called intangible. Yes. Team chemistry. And she actually has a lot. There's a lot of 2010 giants in there. So people who are giants fans would be interested. There's also a ton of 89 giants in there. There's a whole chapter on Barry Bonds. Um, but she she has some interesting um, things about Huff and kind of how he um, he had been kind of a bad guy at every stop until that summer of 2010 and and kind of how he got um, absorbed into the culture and kind of changed at least temporarily. It's a very interesting character study um, about how um, how that happened. So yeah, he's really. Um, not making any friends right now. And, and I don't blame the giants, you know, I mean, I mean, they don't have, it's not their, they, they don't have to invite everyone. Um, and, and I think, you know, I was there. It's funny because they actually all pretty much had a 2010 reunion in, in on the last day of the season and Bochy's last game. Um, and I was up there in that suite for a while and Huff walked in and, you know, it was, when those guys see each other, they're hugging, they're, they're, you know, just, they, they're laughing there. There's so much like tangible love in the room. And he walked in and it, it, he was not one of the guys who was getting a lot of love. So I am not sure that, um, I, I think there are a lot of strains there, um, even without his public comments in, internally. But boy, sure would have been fun to see Tim again, huh? That was the hot, <laughs> that was of course the highlight for everyone to have to have one to come come back um, on that last day of uh, the 2019 season. Let's listen to Jeremy Affelt. He joined this podcast a couple of months ago and talked about how he agreed with the Giants' decision to not invite Aubrey Huff to the reunion. Well, I mean, I think a lot of players are going to have opinions that are differing from the team they played on. So, to me. That's not necessarily a big deal. But when you make it public and then you, you do it the way you did it, uh, I could see how the team is like, you know what? Like, honestly, like, we can't – it's going to bring too much distraction to the situation. And the team doesn't want any more bad publicity. They had too much going on last year from all the stuff going on outside of the field in the front office, you know. So they had so much stuff going on. They don't need more of it. And and so what they need to do is they got to say, hey, look, we – if you're going to continue to do that, and social media, whether people like it or not, is a is a voice. It is a voice that it becomes public and it be, and it and it leaves and it can damage a lot of situations. So you got to be careful what you say, what you post, all that stuff on social media. So I mean, and people read into a lot of stuff that you say on social media. 
all that stuff, right? So when you have all that going down and then you put out kind of the stuff that he put out, the team is like, you know what? It's not worth it because we want to try to have a reunion here and we, we're trying to celebrate something that it could get very distracted because people, fans, city, all of might react to the person, not to the team. And that's what you need to stay away from. And then, but you take the very opposite of that. We brought Timmy in last year for Bochy's thing. When he walked out on the field, it, uh, it, it lifted an entire stadium. I mean, you, I mean, that guy has had such great impact on San Francisco. So you see how the one person, the person can actually do a lot of good or a lot of bad for an entire team. Interesting comments there from Jeremy Affelt on a previous podcast. Is this how you see the Huff situation? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, I mean, let's face it, the, the Giants do these things for the fans. Um, and so if the fans feel really negative about um, about him, and I think anyone who's been paying any attention during this uh, pandemic would really probably feel negative about him. I think it's a moot point anyway, because one, we don't know if there's going to be a reunion. Two, we don't know if there's going to be a season. Uh, and three, it's the law in California right now that you got to wear face masks. So <laughs> I don't think Aubrey can get across the border, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Before we finish up, I wanted to ask you just about your career, uh, you know, growing up in Marin and uh, some of the favorite athletes that you had. And, and what did give you the impetus to become a sports writer? Well, I grew up in Marin, like you said, and my dad um, was a diehard Giants fan. Um, and Willie Mays, if we had in our house, it would have been to Willie Mays. Um, he, uh, you know, was my dad's favorite, and and so I idolized him. Um, but then, you know, when I when I got to be old enough to start paying attention, I fell swinging A's um, that were winning World Series and. <laughs> They wore white shoes and they had mustaches and they, they were pretty fun to watch. And, and, um, that, that made my dad crazy. Uh, then, uh, uh, my dad was a 49er fan and I, the Raiders and they had mustaches and beards and the snake and cool nicknames and they were crazy. And my, that drove my dad crazy too. So, um, my dad and I were the, I have two older brothers, but my dad and I were the two big sports fans in, in my house. And, um, uh, you know, I think I just, I always, the writing in the sports page, um, I knew I wanted to be a writer of some kind. And I just always found, um, in terms of newspaper journalism, the, the sports page was so vibrant and full of life and, and such great writing and, you know, these stories that sure they were about sports, but they were really about life. Um, and, and a, and a big thing that, um, impacted me was when the 49ers won their first Super Bowl and you could kind of see the joy it brought to the community and how the community kind of rallied together after all those dark times of, you know, Jones and the Moscone milk murders and San Francisco was just kind of a sad place. And then Joe Fontana and Dwight Clark and Ronnie Lott show up and, you know, it kind of changed the entire vibe about the city. And that that's really interesting to me, just what sports can do to a community um, and bring it together. So um, I, yeah, I, I just, um, when I, I went to journalism school, um, when I, I went to UCLA thinking I was going to go to the film school, which I, I did not pursue. And then I, I went to journalism school and out of journalism school was when I, um, 
decided when I was there, like, well, why don't I try my hand at sports writing? And, uh, it's been a fantastic career. Daily Bruin, is that what it was? <laughs> Um, I, I worked on the Daily Bruin a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I remember those uh, newspapers. I, I, you know, USC guy, I worked for the Daily Trojan. Uh, so um, I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious though, uh, you know, and I know you've been asked this question a lot, but I've actually never heard from you, uh, the challenges that you face as a woman covering sports. I mean, back in the eighties, a lot different than now, but I would imagine that there are still some challenges that you even face today. Yeah. I think whenever you're, um, you know, a minority in the business, there's, there's challenges. Um, I think, you know, I have tried to look at the positives of it more, you know, that people, people remember my name, they remember who I am, they, you know, because I don't look like the pack of of journalists. Um, But yeah, I mean, I've had to fight, I had to fight a lot, especially early on to, to, you know, for to get paid, uh, in a fair manner compared to what my colleagues were getting. Um, you know, I faced, you know, the locker room kinds of things that, that, uh, pretty much every woman of my generation and the generation before, and probably the generation right after faced, um, seems like the locker room stuff has kind of died down because most of these guys are, you know, they've grown up with women in the locker room, so they don't even bat an eye. But, um, back in the day, it wasn't quite like that. And then, yeah, there was, I mean, I, you know, the early version of being trolled uh, on Twitter was just getting hate mail on actually snail mail or, and then email, voicemail. Um, but, uh, you know, you just learn to grow a really thick skin and, and um, just, you know, don't worry too much about it. Um, I, I think a lot of that trolling is born out of jealousy of people who, you know, know that you got a super cool job and they, they, they're bitter that they don't have a super cool job. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, I try, I try not to dwell on it too much. Um, but yeah, definitely. It definitely, I think, I think all women in the business have experienced some sort of, uh, uh, you know, blowback, discrimination, trolling, whatever you want to call it. You know, in those locker rooms and clubhouses, too, uh, it's interesting. Sometimes the athletes that you think might be one way, might treat you one way, treat you another way. It's kind of surprising, you know, that they have sort of that public image. And then when, you, when you're around them in a clubhouse or a locker room, it's different. I mean, th- were there ever times where that sort of uh, jolted you a little that, you know, somebody would act in a different way than you thought? Um, not really. I mean, I think, I think all, I mean, athletes are performers, they have public personas. Um, you know, there are some who are the same, um, you know, Steph Curry is the same person, (laughs) whether he's, I mean, he's just, he's amazing that way. He's by far the, the most, uh, I don't know, normal, cool, uh, not entitled superstar I've ever been around, you know, Steve Young, same, you know, smart, intellectual, interesting to talk to about anything, not just sports. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, one different perception is, um, you know, people always say like, oh, you don't vote for Barry Bonds for the Hall of Fame because he's mean to you. It's like, really? Like, like Barry Bonds was probably nicer to me than he was to any other reporter. Like, we actually had a pretty good relationship. <laughs> but um, so I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have 
super high expectations of, of that someone's going to be a swell guy when I first meet them. It's, it's, it's really all about, you know, how you get to know them um, one-on-one. All right, the very last thing here, you mentioned Colin Kaepernick, and I think uh, when he first was kneeling that it, w- it was hard uh, when you're supporting somebody like that. You're, you're not getting a lot of support from others because, um, you know, it was just one of those things where uh, around the NFL, he, you know, he only had a few players that really uh, were kneeling in support. But now uh, with the movement that's going on, uh, a lot more people have jumped on the bandwagon. So I'm curious, you know, what your opinion is of uh, where Kaepernick has gone uh, just in the public eye and, and uh, you know, where you think this will go as far as uh, his future? Well, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I, I think he's very far removed from his career, which is tough for any athlete under any circumstance. Um, I think uh, Roger Goodell saying he would encourage a team to hire him is, you know, that he doesn't really have any control over that. Um, and, um, you know, I was happy that finally Goodell managed to say his name because there was a <laughs> yeah. while there, you know, where he was putting out statements and didn't even say his name. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, I think Colin deserves another chance to play. I mean, this, I mean, it's been documented so many times, like there are so many players in the league who are so far below him in terms of his what he did as a player I mean you know he was just this amazing catalyst that you know burst on the scene and yes did he struggle under you know Chip Kelly I mean geez the whole team did um but if you look at his you know um you know touchdown to interception ratio I mean there's so many little statistics you can look at to say like that guy clearly deserves another chance um, the 49ers just stunk during those periods and they were dysfunctional. And I don't know that he felt, um, you know, he felt he got kind of thrown under the bus. I, and so he, he definitely deserves a chance. Whether that happens or not, I think he's going to go down in history as one of the most important sports figures um, that the NFL has ever produced. And I mean, I think we already see that, you know, he is, he, he is the symbol of, of, um, of social protest for the current athlete and, and, and the price that he paid. And, and, you know, it's, I've written about this so much, but I, you know, it's very similar to what, what um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos went through and, and what, you know, how they were ostracized. And, and it's just, it's, it's really interesting. And I, I think Colin's been super smart by Kana keeping himself out of it. You know, he's not out there lobbying on his own behalf. Um, which I think is, is, you know, I think it's, there's power in that. Um, uh, He's, he's not, um, he's not doing this for publicity and he's put his money where his mouth is and he has donated millions of dollars to um, causes and legal funds and all sorts of things. So I think it's just, I think it's one of those things that plays out and I think um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, But I really hope that, that, you know, other athletes and I think they will um speak up and 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 kneel if they choose or or pick up the torch that 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 um Colin has left them and I certainly hope that white athletes do too because you know that is um you know that that was the real failing uh in 2016 and 2017 is is um the the big names the big stars were completely silent 
Um, and, and that's not cool. You know, you say your brother's on the, on the field. Um, how about a little support? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, he, uh, he took, uh, he took a lot of risks and he had a lot of courage and, uh, you know, I, I just thought what he did was amazing. And thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Always enjoy your columns and uh, look forward to seeing you at some point when we get back to sports, seeing you in that uh, Giants clubhouse or somewhere else along the line. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's San Francisco Chronicle columnist Ann Killian. Join us again next week. Former Giant Travis Ishikawa is scheduled to be our guest. For now, I'm Joe Castellano from thesportsvirus.com. Thanks for listening to Inside China Basin on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.